are listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. Hello, and welcome to Enlight, where we explore and showcase leadership and innovations in education. I'm your host, Sean McMinn, Director of the Center for Education Innovation at HKUST. Today, we have the pleasure of having a conversation with Associate Dean James Wong from the School of Humanities and Social Science about his experiences with e-learning and blended learning. He shares his thoughts on how these approaches have influenced his teaching and the learning experiences of his students. We'll also explore the topic of student expectations and how education may need to adapt in the future. Whether you're an educator, a student, or simply interested in educational trends, this discussion offers some thoughtful perspectives. And welcome to another episode of the Enlight podcast. Today, we have the privilege of having with us Professor James Wong. James is the Associate Dean of Humanities and Social Science, Assistant Professor of Social Science Education, and a Senior Lecturer for the Division of Social Science and the Division of Public Policy. Uh, James has been with us at UST for a number of years, and we have him here to talk a little bit about blended learning today because he's had a successful journey converting one of his courses into a blended learning format. And we just want to share his experiences with us, both the uh, benefits and some of the hiccups as well, right? Right, right. right. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Son, for the introduction. Yeah. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration behind converting your course into a blended learning format? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess the first time I got in touch with the blended learning idea was uh, uh, when I was assisting a professor to develop a MOOC course, mm. Okay, I think like seven years ago. Uh, and then when uh, he was developing the MOOC course, I was supposed to be an assistant during the production process. And I managed to get in touch with uh, one of the teams Okay, in CEI. And I started to explore the idea of e-learning in general. Okay, not yet the boot course. But, and I discovered that, oh yeah, actually I, I didn't have to go to the internet, okay, to interact with students from all around the world yet. But I could start, okay, something lighter, blended learning. How could I increase, enhance the interactions with my own students in HKUST? And then the second motivation was very practical. When I first came to HKUST, I discovered that, well, there was no tutorial tradition Okay, in our school at the very least, I'm from the School of Humanities and Social Science, and most of the courses, I think the class size was at least 16, six, sorry, 60, okay, 60 to 80. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very different. The experience of teaching here was very different from when I was in another university in the UK, uh, when I was in another university in Hong Kong. They, they emphasized small class teachings, okay, in small tutorial classes apart from the lectures. I realized there was not only demand from students, but I thought that it would be uh, much better to have the small classes. But on the other hand, um, the resources may not allow me to teach so many tutorials. Anyway, uh, we have limited time, limited resources. And I did discover this blended learning idea, and I thought, ah, maybe I could just turn some of the lectures, or maybe all my lectures, into video format, record all these into videos, and I could utilize the remaining time, the hours available from my side, to interact with smaller classes of students. So that is actually one of the ideas behind the blended learning. We could split the classes into two or maybe more subclasses. So with the smaller class size, interactions would be enhanced. There would be more opportunities for me to talk to students. I think these are the two major motivations. I guess the second motivation was more important. 
Yeah, I mean, you're talking a lot about the importance of engagement, and I can imagine, I've taught those large courses at the MA level of uh, 70 students, and it's very hard to keep them engaging when you're just following a lecture-based approach. Exactly. Right. And you're right. Those small tutorials are more useful. So in that sense, I can see the practical side. Well, it's a pedagogical approach, right? You're, you're, you're considering the importance of engagement and interaction among the students. So would you say that's one of the most important elements that you considered when you were moving over? That was a very, very important element. And I would even say that it was the most important element. For my courses, okay, that I have been teaching, political science, political theory, ethics, public policy, all these courses uh, were not only about conveying the knowledge. Mm. I also wanted to hear the responses from students. The reason is there is no absolutely right or wrong answer. Right. And then you needed to hear the students' responses, how they justify their positions. It was not about what they think. It was about why they think so. So I needed to listen to the reasons rather than just asking them to memorize all the steps, okay, in a mathematical operation, uh, to memorize the hard facts, and then we produce them in the exams. No, okay, I don't think I can test or I can assess the students' learning just by that. Mm. So a small class engaging environment was especially important, indispensable for my courses. So you found that moving your lectures into a video online format freed up that time, so you were able to do this. Yes, exactly. Now, sometimes for people who are, I don't want to use the word traditional, but they're used to the lecture base in that sense that they're right an hour and a half lecture or three hour lecture or, and with some interaction and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, when you ask them to place their videos into the online format, that mode changes how you deliver the content. Can you describe to us a little bit about the process that you went through and both the struggle, but also maybe some of the aha moments? I guess uh, there were, of course, struggles uh, when I first stepped into the CI studio to record the lecture videos. I was so nervous. I thought I would just be able to perform as naturally as in a classroom, but eventually it was not exactly the same. I was facing the walls, desktop, and I needed to talk to myself, literally. I was very glad okay, to have uh, your colleague, Amy, and also my research assistant standing beside me reminded me, okay, when I should talk slower, when I should repeat, when I should record again, because I was not speaking so clearly mm. about one point. I really, really appreciated that. But the time that I spent was unexpectedly long yeah. for recording the videos. Uh, maybe you just needed to turn half of the 39 hours uh, equivalent, so maybe 19 hours lecture talking time into videos, but eventually you, you realize that you spent the entire semester working on all these videos because you wanted to get the messages well conveyed. It was your, my first time and then I received a lot of feedback. So I wanted to get all these videos in good shape. So I think part of the reason was that when I was talking into the computer, I wasn't able to look at the natural feedback of my students. Mm -hmm. Okay, At some point in a real classroom, I was able to tell whether I should continue elaborating on this point. Maybe you start to see that our students were not interested. You should better stop there. Okay, and move to another point. But when you're talking into the machine, I didn't have this idea. You have to visualize it differently, exactly, right? Exactly, yes. exactly. And sometimes when I was standing in the classroom, I got a feeling that uh, even if I elaborated slightly more with examples, I could use the board to draw, annotate. Mm. Students were focusing on what I was trying to write. They may not feel so bored when I could demonstrate the real movements of myself in a classroom, just like a performer. 
But when I was facing the computer, I couldn't demonstrate my whole performer capacity. Okay, with just my voice. I don't know whether this is self-imposed syndrome, syndrome or what. Okay,、mm. I thought that I'm being so bored. Okay, I must stop here. So when I thought that ah, I need to wrap up this point very quickly, I wanted to stop. I realized I screwed things up.、Mm. It was not going so naturally as I thought. Okay, at the start. So that was the main reason why it took so long. And then maybe another point to add is that you could always get this into perfect shape. So you got kind of the moral burden here.、Yeah. There is no excuse. You're recording the videos. You want to get them perfect, so you wanted to try that again, try that again. So eventually, I think the psychological burden was not small. So there's a lot of cognitive overload in that sense, right? You're really overthinking things. You're thinking、yes. about, well, how will they、yes. uh, receive this? It's、yes. different from me live.、Yes. I can gauge their interest,、yes. right?、Uh, it's got to be perfect because it's in a video format.、Yes. So what you're describing to me is, it sounds like it's a real shift in your mindset and how you deliver the content.、Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, yeah, it could be overwhelming and, and it takes time. Knowing now that what you're going through, if you were asked to go back into the studio, do you think you'd be able to cut down the time? Ah,、uh, sure, with the experience. And at some point,、uh, when I was overthinking, when I started to screw things up, I I was glad that to have your colleague and my research assistant to encourage me. Okay, well, you were doing perfectly okay, so you shouldn't just stop here. You should just continue. I could also actually get the feedback from the course that I have already offered. I saw their assignments. I saw their performances in class. I saw the video analytics. So basically, with these data, I became more confident in trying this again. And to be honest, as a matter of fact, I have already applied for another funding to turn、uh, another course of mine into the blended learning format. What you just said, I, there's three directions I can think of going from what you just talked about. Let's start with the one. You're feeling more comfortable in the studio, and I've been in this studio. It's almost like a lonely feeling in this tiny room, right? You just have a computer to talk to. Exactly. In some ways, when I first started using the studio a few years ago, I realized it, it affords new ways of delivering content.、Mm-hmm. Right? I can deliver it in a different way. Right? And I'm just wondering for yourself: Have you changed the way you might deliver a content, or is there any new way that you might lecture because you have the videos? And maybe give me an example of how that's changed how you think to deliver content. Right. When I have the idea that I got the videos, I can always show the videos to our students.、Mm. I tended to focus more on asking students if you have any questions to ask me, rather than. Having me to passively deliver what I want you to know, what I assume you might want to know, I just want to actually open it up, ask me questions. If you have any problems when you are trying to complete your assignments, if you have any questions out of curiosity, you are welcome to voice them. Personally, I became more engaging when I was lecturing for the first time. I was very nervous. Okay, obviously after my graduation、uh, with my PhD, it was、yeah. my first time to teach. I wanted to occupy all the time with my talking time because I was sure, one hundred percent sure, you are not going to screw the class up. Okay, with your lectures, scripts prepared, you just read them the scripts. Okay, everything was in control. But then you started to feel that well, why the students got to sit there and listen to your talk? Okay, so I wasn't totally comfortable with、uh, having to notice their face being uninterested. So I think this change is kind of good. Okay,、mm-hmm. it actually、uh, incentivized me or encouraged me to think in this way. Okay, you anyway got all your lectures prepared, recorded. So when you walk into the classroom, there is no excuse for you to just read. Okay, the lecture scripts.、Mm-hmm. 
it is really the time that you need to let students be in the driver's seats. You let to be more open to students' question. You need to be less afraid of being questioned of a particular point. Well, I know they are not doing this with a bad will, okay? But of course, the first time for the for the junior scholar, for the junior teacher, like what I was, okay, 10 years ago, I wanted to fill all the time with passive lectures. But yeah, you know, after so many years, I think it might be partly due to the experience I accumulated, but I would also attribute the credits, okay, to branded learning because you no longer have any excuse to just continue to talk yourself. One of the other elements that I want to touch on what you've been talking about is, yes, you mentioned it. There's a lot of work at the beginning, but I'm wondering, as you offer the blended course semester after semester, the front end work has been done. And what you've done is you've actually freed up time to do exactly what you're wanting to do and engage the students, get, hear their voice. And yes. That. yes, you might have to go back and tweak a video here and there, but really the front end of the work is complete. What else then, coming back to the, one of the third thing I want to talk about, and we, we've talked a little bit about it, and this is the engagement. Uh, let's move away from the lecture videos. What has the Blended Learning course done for you in the classroom? Right? How do you tie in the videos into the classroom? Oh, mm -hmm. and, and how do you make it engaging in that sense? I think I didn't just play the videos in the class. I think it would be not so uh, effective, yeah. okay? Not even a very, very short clip. I try to engage the students uh, in the class, starting the class by asking them, okay? So I believe that you have already finished the online exercise, okay, following the watching the videos. I ask them to complete a very short MC quiz okay, each week with the true or false MC questions. And then I would explain the answers uh, for most of the questions, or maybe I just picked some of the questions not being answer satisfactory. And I directed them to watch a particular clip. Okay, I didn't play, but I showed them, okay, where you could find the answers, mm -hmm. okay, for this particular question. And I try to introduce what we were going to do, okay, for the rest of the time for our class. I tried to spend 10 minutes going over the true or false MC questions. And then I, I introduced the main task for the class today, group discussions, or maybe debates, or maybe reporting, group reporting. So there was a task okay, for each section. And I tried to, to introduce the task in relation to the video contents they have watched. Right. So yeah, I tried to, to make relevance uh, uh, salient. So they could see the why they needed to watch the videos before the class. If it happens that they were a little bit lazy, having skipped one time the videos, but then the next time they were reminded that, well, these are actually very, very related. Yeah. And then it's kind of encouraging them to get prepared, okay, before coming to class. And I think my experience is students realize that if you're consistent in that way and your discussions or your tasks in class are dependent on the content exactly. prior, uh, students will learn very quickly because they don't want to be embarrassed in front of the others, right? They want to show, okay, I can participate. But we are talking about buy-in with students, right? And that is difficult sometimes, right? Sometimes students, they expect the teacher to be a lecturer, uh, to give them all the information, tell them what they're supposed to learn. And then when you ask them to go ahead, read this, watch this, and then come in and do this, they seem like they're being cheated. So you kind of need to give them some sort of buy-in. What have you done to help buy in mm -hmm. the students in that sense? 
the third thing that I did would be to emphasize the benefits of joining this blended learning class. Okay, so see, imagine for most of the UG courses in HKUST, uh, the students would have to come to campus twice a week. Now imagine you just needed to attend the face-to-face -face class once a week, about one hour and 30 minutes. And for the remaining one hour and 30 minutes, your schedule was not fixed. You could watch the videos at home, in the library, at the coffee shop, anytime when you are free. Yeah. So you could do it at your own pace. It will become very flexible for your schedule. So I think it's very practical. I think for the students, especially the local students in Hong Kong, they wanted to formulate a timetable that allows them to have a day off or something. With this flexibility, I think it is something really appealing. Now, the second point that I would always emphasize is that when you're watching your videos, you could actually determine your pace of learning. Okay, you can stop anywhere. You can start anywhere you want. Well, of course, I wanted them to, to, to have watched all the videos. But maybe you can start, okay, with some video clips you are most interested in. Uh, or when you have questions, you can watch the videos twice, three times, four times. You don't need to show this to other classmates. In the real class, if you raise your hand, can the lecturer just repeat this point? You may feel embarrassed. You may be thinking too much, okay, whether others would think that, okay, you are not so intelligent, okay, you have to ask these questions. We're at your own pace. We're also supporting the students. When you have questions, you could always contact us after the face-to-face -face classes. So what's not to love okay. for this idea? Basically, I, I try to encourage them to, to stay in the course, okay, and see the benefits of blended learning in this way. You know, you, you reminded me of when I was a student, actually. And I remember going to lectures and listening. And if the lecturer was engaging and interesting, I, I would listen. Yeah. But I wouldn't always see yeah. the relevance of what they're lecturing, of the content. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then let's say when we get to an assignment or a test, whatever, I couldn't always make that connection. The beauty now with blended learning is I can watch the video, go to a task and go, ah, oh, that's what they meant in the lecture. And then I can go back to the video mm -hmm. and I can rewatch it. And now I'm rewatching it in a new yeah. context yes. because I'm applying the knowledge to something. Right. So in that sense, deeper learning occurs for the student. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely that flexibility and that ability to rewatch and then also tie it into the class. Exactly. It's, exactly. It is really useful. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. Now, let's get back to the conversation between Dr. McMinn and Professor Wong. We've been discussing reasons why taking a blended approach may be needed in our current educational climate. James has been discussing about the importance of nurturing future generations to be prepared for a different world than the one we faced decades ago. He argues that the traditional approach of memorizing content to pass examinations might not be sufficient for students to succeed in their future careers. We continue our conversation by exploring how a blended learning opens new possibilities, such as more opportunities for monitoring and tracking students' performance. I was going to ask you uh, to share examples of blended learning and how it might increase the engagement and learning outcomes. And we've talked a lot about that already. But I'm wondering from your perspective, just anecdotally is fine. Do you see any impact on their learning outcomes in the blended course as opposed to the other courses? 
Well, definitely. I was looking for student participation. For example, a traditional lecture-based course offered by um, my division. The experience was like, I was the performer in the classroom and the students were thinking the same. They were expecting me to be the performer in the tech talk. You deliver the lecture contents uh, with loads of examples. You try to be engaging. I think in the way that you sang to be engaging them, but you were not actually asking them to give you substantive feedback, okay, mm. questions. You look encouraging. Okay, do you see this? Uh, can you actually relay this? But the students may be expecting you to answer the questions yourself, okay? They, they were kind of watching a show, mm -hmm. okay? I was feeling good enough, okay, to be the performer. But the point is, I didn't really know whether they were listening or they were just enjoying, okay, the atmosphere of a show, of a tech talk, okay, how much they actually learned. I wasn't able to, to know until I asked them to complete a midterm essay. So it was about six or seven weeks away from the start of the semester. But for the blended learning course, I could actually get the feedback earlier yeah. and more frequently every week. And I was specifically asking the groups, I don't want the same person to be the representative of the group and report the findings. I want other classmates in the group to report the findings. So I could have more opportunities to check the progress. Okay. So of course, I didn't have the control. I, I didn't run the same course in a traditional lecture format. I'm not entirely sure whether the students performing in the BL course uh, of the same course, okay, would definitely be performing better. But at least as a lecturer, I got more chance to check their progress and I could quickly spot out some of the errors, misunderstanding. I could address them. Okay, so I would respond to your question in this way. When I have a chance to run an exactly the same course, but in the traditional format, I could tell maybe more about whether the students in the branded learning class would be able to demonstrate better okay, learning outcomes. But in general, I at least got more chances to check whether they were up to my expectations. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you mentioned. I mean, from our perspective at CEI, we're always encouraging professors to do more teacher feedback type of sessions with the students, right? Because that's really important. Our, every student is different. You don't know how well they're understanding and receiving the content that you're delivering them. And are you going too fast? Are you going too slow? And so on. And the fact that you're suggesting that the blended learning format gives you more feedback in the process. I mean, that's such an important point. And, and I think students will benefit from that uh, because you're able to adjust to the learning outcomes as, as best as you can. Before we sat down, we had a quick talk a little bit about what you call the, the clubhouse. Right. All right. And the format. Right. And I'm wondering if you could describe that a little bit. And how has the blended learning format allowed you to, right. to take on this strategy? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I have to admit that Clubhouse uh, was just a fancy name. Yeah, okay? that's fine. Uh, yeah. It was like a freestyle section scheduled uh, at the end of the semester, the last section. Towards the end of the semester, everyone was stressed, okay, including the students and the faculty. I didn't want to force the students to come to the class and listen to my concluding remark. The spirit behind the blended learning approach was that whatever you want to talk about, you got this pre-recorded. Okay, so there was no point in asking students, okay, just come here, uh, yeah, try to listen to my concluding remark or actually try to force myself to come up with an activity to just wrap up the section. Right. I didn't see the there was great value doing that. Instead, 
Because I want the students to be engaged, and I want to give this flexibility and freedom, autonomy back to the students. So at the end of the semester, I just wanted to invite the students to come over. Okay, this is the section、uh, for you, and then you could ask me, my TA, or maybe your fellow classmates any questions. So it's a free marketplace of idea. You could talk about anything. Okay,、mm. within these one hour and thirty minutes. So of course, many students ended up okay asking for advice, okay, about the assignments,、uh, what they should do for their own group project. But I was very open to that. So and I said, okay, if other students didn't mind, okay, listening to my responses to this group's assignment specifically, they're very, very welcome to stay. And I actually encouraged them to stay because you could learn from each other, okay. And anyway, the presentations are already delivered to everyone, okay, in the class, so there was no embarrassment okay, asking for feedback during that clubhouse section. So it was a fancy name, but maybe in the long run, I thought during the midterm, okay, we could arrange a section like this, because. At the end of the day, you didn't want to overwhelm the students, okay? That much, okay? With the pre-planned class activities, those are good, okay, for checking the progress. But I'm still wondering, okay, how many would be the optimum?、Uh, taking into consideration the overall study stress, okay, the pressure the students were facing for taking six courses in a semester.、Mm. Where is the optimum point? I, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I'm not ruling out the idea. Maybe sharing one or two sections, okay, like this kind of clubhouse sections, freestyle. You could just come talk about anything you want, ask any questions you like. Yeah, this has a kind of aligns with what you were talking about earlier about flexibility. You're、right. giving them flexibility as well, right, on their own learning journey. There was something else that you mentioned when we were talking about this whole concept that it's okay to fail or okay、mm-hmm. to make mistakes. Yes, and you use this opportunity to show that teachers sometimes make、yes. mistakes as、yeah. well, and that's okay. Yes,、uh, can you explain a little bit about that?、Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I think I wanted to give everyone、uh, the context. Okay, all for the context. Yeah. When I first delivered this brand learning course, it was last spring. Okay, it was another peak of the pandemic. We were kind of forced to. Put all the classes online. I was frustrated because I created Bender Learning Course because I was looking forward to meeting the students in the classroom. At that point, I wanted to let students know, okay, perhaps I should introduce some sort of human touch, okay, in the process. I I didn't want to let students know that. Well, you have already recorded your videos. I don't want the students to feel that I have become a robot.、Mm-hmm. And then for the face-to-face classes, you were also turning them into Zoom. Well. Well, another kind of robot. From a student's perspective, well, I paid the tuition. I came here to interact with you. Even though I might be shy, I might not be that proactive at the start. I didn't want you to turn yourself into a robot. Okay, I, I think nobody wants that. So I wanted to show them. Due to the constraint, I didn't have a lot of choices. So I must deliver the classes on Zoom as active as I could. But one thing I actually did, and thanks so much to the to the idea. I, I think it was not my idea; it was the idea of Amy, the instructional designer of my project, suggested to me that maybe you can actually record a making of video,、mm-hmm. trying to sum up the video recording process or the development of the whole brand learning course to the students. Now, at the start, I thought maybe this making of video. Uh, was only for promotional purposes.、Mm-hmm. Okay, I wanted to show this video at the start of the semester to attract more students to come, or maybe you can just actually try to make it like ah yeah, is it will be fun.、Uh, it was just like a movie. You want more guesses, okay,、yeah. to come to the cinema to watch it. 
But later, I discovered that maybe I could actually use the video to deliver another message. Well, everyone was so isolated during the pandemic. Uh, everyone was so stressed, including the lecturers. So I wanted to encourage them in the sense that lecturers, instructors, developers of this course were not perfect. And it was totally okay to make mistakes. You may not get used to watching the videos and then just come to class once a week. But it was totally okay. The first time, okay, recording the videos, I made loads of mistakes and some of the mistakes were kind of funny. Like, and I tried to highlight those funny mistakes. And uh, even lecturers at my age, uh, with this experience, I didn't make mistakes. And it was okay to fail. And even the TAs or maybe my colleagues would laugh at me, but it's okay. It's really, really okay. Just try that again, try that again. And eventually we could adapt to the technology. Maybe another message was not targeting the blended learning technology, was kind of encouragement in general to show that actually in the real class, teachers made mistakes. You spotted that. Well, pre-recorded videos, everything sounds perfect, but it was not actually the case. Hard work took time. You needed to spend time in order to get things perfect. So don't be lazy. <laughs> And don't be frustrated whenever you couldn't get your what you want. At this point, maybe after several months, several years later, you would be able to reach the, yeah, in the a way, destination. In a way, it's exactly like learning, right? It's a process. And that's how we learn best, through the process. And in showing them yes. and some of the funny bits, what, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. You're showing the, the process. Uh, you're learning from each step in each stage. Oh, maybe I'll just wrap it up then with a final question related to all this. We're, we're talking a lot about how you've changed your courses into Blender format, a lot of the, the benefits and some of the hurdles that you had to go through. What would be your advice to any faculty members who are thinking about converting their courses into Blender format? What would be the key advice that you would give them? Well, I think the first piece of advice would be to seek resources, of course. I yeah. think, uh, thank you so much for the generous offer of the resources, okay, by the university. Uh, it helped me a lot. Developing a blended learning course takes time. Most importantly, I really, really, really relied a lot, okay, on my assistant in coming up with good PowerPoint slides and then in the studio to assist me, okay. Of course, the instructional designer from CI helped me a lot. But on the other hand, I think on my side, I also wanted a lot of support because the assistant actually knew my lecturing style. She would be able to do all these video editing afterwards. And of course, she would be very important during the implementation process, okay, uh, to get in touch with the students, to explain what wasn't clear in the videos. So I do encourage them to apply for funding. You don't need to finish it all on your own, okay? Seek advice and resources from the CEI, from the university. Another piece of advice is that I think we need to face the truth. Uh, I may not be the truth, but face the reality. I think the e-learning is going to be the trend. I do believe that because uh, students find all different ways of learning anyway outside HKUST. Even though, even though you are not going to turn your courses into blended learning, maybe other courses will be turned into blended learning. Or even some of the students actually discover that, well, I don't really need to learn everything from the classroom, I could learn many, many steps online. MOOC courses, some of them even free from other universities as well. So I think accepting the reality is very important. I think in terms of the mindset, maybe it is actually tough to, to get started. But once we realize that this is going to be the reality, uh, we have more incentive. Maybe one step at a time, taking a small step is better than not taking even one step. Okay, and then I tried to convince myself that 
with this additional experience in my teaching journey, maybe more practically on my CV, could be at least beneficial. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be a harm, okay, to yourself. I think mentally, I have been keeping myself with this kind of spirit, okay, mentally. I have to try to manage my mental status. The time I invested, the effort I invested, maybe at some point I felt overwhelmed, but I remind myself that this is going to be the trend. It's not going to do you any harm, okay? It's going to do you some good towards your future. Or maybe this serves up some sort of motivation. And I'm sure your students have benefited from your dedication and, and your hard work in this, yeah. because I can see that you put a lot of thought right. into uh, why and how you're offering these yeah. courses. And yeah, you're right. Whether or not it's reality and we have to think about this, I don't think all courses have to be online or yeah. blended learning, yeah. Yeah. but having that flexibility for students. I think students will start to expect that a little bit more and more. Exactly. And uh, just one uh, one point to add, I think always ask ourselves, why do we want to be a teacher? Why do we want to teach? Rather than actually working in other industries, as I always say, uh, if you just think about the pay, if you just think about the future, maybe other options could be actually better for us. But the very, very key motivation behind me, okay, wanting to be a teacher is that I really want to nurture the, the, the future souls. And then when I am nurturing the future souls, I cannot assume that our future generations, uh, the younger generations are going to face the same world as the world I faced, okay, 20 years or 30 years ago. Maybe it was enough for me to memorize all the contents in the textbook and work out the final examination, and then I could succeed in my career, in my future. But I think in the, in the new generation, they can no longer succeed by just memorizing the stuff passively. So even if they could succeed the examinations, they could actually answer all the questions on the exam paper, they could get high GPA, it may not help that much for their future journey. I do believe that with the blended learning, you're trying to offer them more opportunity to speak, to voice their thoughts, I think this is really what we want to develop in an Asian context, especially I think in general, the students here, they may be a little bit shy in general to, to speak up compared to students in other parts of the world. So I think being able to voice uh, what they think Okay, would be at least one of the key elements for succeeding in the future world. And, and reports keep on coming out from various institutions that are identifying these skills that students need, right? Communication problem solving, critical thinking. Uh, one of the latest reports I saw is adaptability, Yeah, right? Yeah. In the near future, students need to have that competency to be adaptable, right? Because of the changing world. Right. And, and I think you're right. That flexibility of your course, you've opened it up for the students in the sense that you're getting them to think more just beyond memorizing the content and then being tested on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, James. It's It's been a real pleasure having you. And I'm glad that you are making use of our funds and, and, and the CEI support because this is what we're here for. And I'm very grateful for, for the support. And uh, honestly, without the support, I wouldn't have developed and implemented a course where at least I, I was satisfied with. I really, really see this as one of the future directions, I would say. Yeah, one of the future directions. Yeah. yeah we have to hedge our claims here. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. This is very important. I think education innovation is not limited to blended learning, but of course, blended learning. It's a big part. Yeah, it's a big part of it. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much, James. Yes. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you for listening to Enlight, brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu, 
And a big thank you to our editorial team, Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, and we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.